again. And uh, if you put up the first slide, I've titled today's sermon, Faith for Great Exploits. Now, don't be confused with the imagery of fireworks behind. It does not say faith for great explosions. It says faith for great exploits. But I've chosen this imagery on purpose, faith for great exploits with fireworks, because of how my 2020 started this year. We, like so many, decided on New Year's Eve, we need to shoot some fireworks. So I went down to the shop on that day, and I bought some fireworks. And I actually bought, I brought this as a sample so you can see uh, what it looks like. This is actually the fireworks that we bought. This is, these are the very ones. And uh, I asked the lady, well, just so I make sure I'm doing this right, give me some instructions, because I don't want to kill any of my children. Not just yet, at least. And uh, so I said, how do I do this? So she said, well, you need to make sure that you firmly plant it in the ground. So I, I don't want to blame her for what happened that night, but I just want you to know that's what she said. She said, plant it in the ground. Megan pointed out after the fact that most people, with a little common sense, she added, would have still read the directions that are printed boldly on the actual firework itself for you not to miss with the title, Warning. Warning for outdoor use only. Place in a wooden trough or iron pipe at 75 degree angle pointing away from people. The word ground is nowhere in that sentence. And it says, do not hold in hand. I'm going to go ahead and confess right now that there was talk amongst us. If we're going to place it in the ground, why don't we just hold it in our hands? And I said, well, Let's don't be dumb. Let's listen to the lady at the store who sells these once a year and has probably never set off a firework, but let's trust her. Light the fuse and get away. This rocket travels at high speeds and can travel long distances. I'm going to tell you now, it cannot travel at high speeds or long distances if it is firmly placed in the ground. And to my embarrassment, we have a video of the whole ordeal. Can we roll that video? Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. All right, guys, get ready to run and hide. Jonas, now you gotta hold on to it. Hand back. Watch, hey, watch, watch. No, look, look up in the sky.
You may have noticed I've been wearing long pants ever since the 31st. So there might be a few hairs missing. Now the reason I start with that story is because some of you feel like this is pretty much how your life has gone. You planted yourself firmly in the ground, and some of you, especially when it comes to doing great exploits for God, feel like it has completely backfired on you. You were made to fly, you believed you were to fly, and somehow in the midst you got planted, and before you knew it, it just went up, but not where it was meant to go up in your face, in your faith. And some of you today are feeling like whenever you hear the words great exploits, you're thinking, I've been there, I've tried that. It's not so great. Maybe you've been at Glenridge for a while. Maybe early on, got excited to do something great for God. And for whatever reason, your thoughts about where you would be or how you would fly or where you would make your big splash, <clears throat> didn't turn out. And now you're feeling the pains of having to deal with something not going the way you expected and week in and week out, people you in encouraging you to go for it again. And you're thinking, after this, I, I don't know. So I'm going to be speaking to your heart today because you're actually made for great exploits along the way, we sometimes get confused about what a great exploit looks like because we look at everybody else's great exploits and we say, that's the great exploit. So that could be part of the problem. Along the way, we, try to, we get so grounded that we start to allow fear to take hold. And as the kids come and the bills mount up, great exploits start sounding like just survive and get my children through school. Let alone try and do something for God. And as the years go on, the enemy lies and the stories and the, the failure mounts up and you make a few decisions along the way that were not so wise, strange relationships, or whatever it might have been, and all of a sudden, what seemed like a firework that was going to go long distances just feels like it's been showered on and you know the duds they just get filled with water and that's often what happens with a firework that just won't go off I'm speaking to you today God's going to change everything today in your life and for, for those of you that are thinking what I just got saved or the young people that I'm on fire for Jesus there's no way this firework's not going to go it's going to fly I'm going to give you faith to keep believing and trusting. But you're going to have to learn a few things today for that to actually be the case. And I'm hoping that I'm going to be able to do that justice for your life so that you can fly. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hebrews 11.32. Now, we've been speaking through heroes of the faith from December until now and highlighting some key figures, big names, big people that did big exploits. What I love about the verses we're going to look at today is it just gets wild. 
I mean, like these verses, when I read them and really started thinking through, just felt wild to me. And you're going to see some incredible stuff. What I love about it is it's a little bit raw as well. Because some of the people that we think of, like the Abrahams and the, you know, the Elijahs and the Moses, and they just, they just did these amazing things, these patriarchs of the faith. And you even have people like Esther that saved an entire nation, and Ruth who just settled the line of Jesus. And it was just incredible exploits for Jesus, for God and his kingdom. And you think, wow, amazing. And then you read verses like this, and you're like, whoa, real people paid real costs to do great exploits. And it was mind-blowing to me. Let's look at verse 32. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel. Still some pretty amazing guys. And then the writer goes on to say, Who through faith, here's key words we're going to look at today, conquered kingdoms. What does it mean to conquer a kingdom in our day? What does it look like? We can kind of get an idea back then what it looked like to do exploits of conquering kingdoms. What does it look like today? We're going to unpack that in more detail. Administer justice and gain what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, probably referring to Daniel, quench the fury of the flames, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and escape the edge of the sword. I love this one right here. Whose weakness was turned to strength. It's like pow, pow, pow. And then the great exploit of your weakness being turned to strength. Like, wow. Okay, no, that that sounds a little bit more like me. I'm the guy, I haven't yet faced the lion. Although some of my children early in the morning feel like lions. And if I could shut their mouths, anyway, let me not go there. But yet weakness turned to strength. Okay, now I I can relate to that. And who became powerful in battle and rooted out armies? Women received back their dead. Wow. Raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released. Most likely referring to Paul and others, especially mentioned in Romans 16, who gave their lives and those that gave their lives Christians throughout history, I just think about how many have suffered and died. So that they may gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. I want to preach a sermon one day. Great Great faith to be sawed in two one day. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Wow. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. Now, part of the difference between them and us is that we often go around destitute, persecuted, mistreated. But what's interesting is we are willing to actually soldier on through those difficulties of life for ourselves, where these people are doing it for a much better purpose and a much greater reason. I mean, if we are to face hardships, wouldn't you rather face hardships for a great exploit in the kingdom of God? That sounds like a life worth learning to live. Verse 39, these were all 
commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Let's just start with that mention of those last two verses, and then we're going to go back and look at a couple of other things. We're told none of them received what had been promised. What was promised? What is this promise that they were believing for? The promise was this, and it was from the beginning of time. The promise was that the whole earth would be filled, would be blessed with the kingdom of God. That was the promise. And it was the promise given to Adam and Eve. It was the commission that was given to them. You are meant to fill the whole earth with what? Well, with the image of God. They're created in His image, and you are meant to spread the image of God and rule and give an authority over the whole earth so that God's kingdom might rule over the whole earth and the whole earth would be blessed. Other than they went and messed it up because they decided, I want to taste my own kingdom, what that looks like. And as they did that, the fall came and messed the whole thing up. And to this day, we are all still like Adam and Eve having to make a decision for God's kingdom or our own kingdom. Are we going to keep messing it up or are we going to make a change? Yet God was still committed to his promise even though they messed it up. And he comes again to Abraham and then he makes the promise again. Genesis 12, 2-3 says this. He says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. But for what? For, for Abraham's sake that he would have a great name? Many of us and some of the churches sadly preach a gospel and, and want to believe that it's just all about me. Come make my name great and God's here to make your name great. God help us. <laughs> the world does not need Drew's name to be great. Drew cannot save them. No, he says, I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all, and in you, all the families on the earth shall be blessed. And he went on to choose Israel and keeps making the promise over and over again through the scriptures and in the culmination of Jesus. And throughout history for 2,000 years, it's the same mandate, the same one. You and I have this mandate that we would be a blessing to the whole earth. Not just that God would be a blessing to me. That God would bless so that we might bless. That we might see His kingdom advance. There is no great exploit greater than that. That is the great exploit. And it comes with God and His call. If you want to do something great for God, you've got to figure that out. It's not for you. It's for the nations. It's for those outside of you, around you. Heroes of faith, like those mentioned in Hebrews 11, were advancing God's kingdom. But it was incredible, they would not see the ultimate fulfillment in their day of this promise. Why? Well, the writer tells us in Hebrews, God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In other words, would the promise finally come to its completion. Well, what was better? 
obviously, the better was Jesus to come. God himself in flesh was going to come. And he was going to die, and he was going to rise again, and he was going to ascend into heaven and give the Holy Spirit to those that God himself might live within us. That is way better than Abraham talking to God or even Moses face to face. Way better. The Spirit of God lives inside of you. Wow! You are set up for a great exploit. And it's together with that foundation of faith that they've got that all of a sudden the lights switch on as we give our lives to Jesus to say, whoa, Christ lives in me. Now I'm going to take the example and the foundation that they've got, to, to got given us. And together, with that in mind, with the Word of God in hand and the Holy Spirit in my heart, I'm going. We're doing this thing for Jesus. You have to have it. Now if we go back to the beginning of these verses and we look at some of the things they did, and I want to just harp on how they conquered kingdoms. When I looked at this three thoughts because the way I think came to my mind they did great exploits and then you have all this around the you know escape the mouths of lions and in the flames and I thought then there's great escapes for us you know you can advance the kingdom of God through great escapes some of you this year need to escape the hold of the devil on your life and you're going to see the kingdom of God advance because that's what you're going to do this year and then you see great endurance the women received back the dead. They just kept going and going and going. That's what some of you need. The endurance of God. But I can't preach on all that. I just wish I could. You know, just unpack. It's coming. One day, maybe I'll preach on great escapes. I'd love to talk about that. But great exploits. They conquered kingdoms. What does it look like for us to conquer kingdoms? How will we conquer kingdoms for Jesus? Let's put that point up on the slide. A kingdom is the extent of the rule and reign of a king. There's three things that make a kingdom. Authority, jurisdiction, and resources. So the authority, jurisdiction, and resources are the king's, how the king advances his kingdom are through those three things. Each of us have authority, jurisdiction, and resources in our own lives. We are kings of our little domains. But God's best for us is for the, and for the world is that we would lay our crowns down and surrender our th little throne to King Jesus. And that we would get into His story and in His kingdom and then learn to administer His kingdom as sons and daughters of God, of the King. That's the way it is meant to go. Only then can we do eternal and great exploits. Now let's just contrast this. So let's start with authority. I have a, I have a table up here I want to show you. Authority. Now let's think for a moment about little King Drew and what kind of authority and how I find authority compared with Jesus' authority. Well, King Drew, under authority, in order for me to get access authority, I have to have a sort of confidence. Confidence. It's what every self-help guru to tell you. Assertiveness. Confidence. Believe in yourself. And to have any authority, you have to then carry this sword around and wield this sword. 
and have your chest up high and believe in yourself. And make sure everybody else knows you believe in yourself. And once you do that, your authority starts to be established in their minds and you have to live the life of, look what I can do. And from the beginning, we're like this. You're a child, still my little toddler. Look what I can do, Dad. Look what I can do. And we carry on living that. Look what I can do. This is how I started my marriage, by the way. I know some of you are getting married this year. Uh, let me tell you what not to do, okay? I, I think this will be really, really help you. I, in fact, this might be the best thing I say all day. I came into my marriage in my early 20s and pretty much did throughout my whole 20s try to assert my authority. I remember one day coming home and Megan was, was played in our new home we had just established and she was put, hanging up pictures and she had framed a, a picture and she had framed a few and I don't know, I was grumpy and, but I was just, I always thought I could do everything better. Some things I can do better by the way, but anyway, anyway let me not go there. But I always like it. So, I, so I'm looking at this picture, and I establish my authority, and I say to her, are all our pictures going to be crooked? And I was trying to say, I could do this better. You're going to have to do this better. I have, a, I have a standard. You need to meet my standard. And I'm going to let you know what my standard is, and you're going to get into my kingdom and sort it out. I'm the king, you're the queen, let's, let's just make sure that's clear. That's what I was saying. What, what I didn't realize is that Megan also has authority. And with a little bit of confidence, she can also administer her authority. Are all our pictures going to be crooked? Are all your nights going to be spent by yourself? I think that picture looks just perfect. I think it's a really great. <laughs> you see, when we both have to wield our confidence in order to get our way, because we still think the authority is about us, and we're trying to command authority, we're constantly butting heads like this. And confidence, confidence, by the way, is a kind word to actually just say, have pride, superiority, and place yourself above others. God's way isn't confidence. Because King Jesus showed us another way to get authority, and it's through a cross of conviction, not a sort of confidence. Conviction is different than confidence. Confidence says, I can do this. Conviction actually says, I have something. I have something that's beyond and better and more important than me. When others have to fight for authority and showcase their confidence like peacocks, Christ lays it down. This is what's so amazing about him. He never wielded the sort of confidence. He had a conviction. He was settled in his identity. He didn't have to lord it over people like we do and like I do. He puts away his sword, he humbles himself, and he dies. He actually dies, literally. Such is the conviction that only God could give him true authority. 
He did not have to worry about his authority. And he was right. Philippians 2, 8 says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Wow. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. It's amazing. Jesus humbles himself. He dies on a cross, and his authority just goes skyrockets. The reason some of you have yet to really see great exploits in your life or along the way got derailed might be because you're still trying to trust in an ability to have confidence in yourself and for others to see that confidence. But it's the conviction that God is in you, the Holy Spirit conviction that God is with me that makes the difference. And so I can lay my life down, which is exactly where jurisdiction comes from. See, in jurisdiction, little King Drew has jurisdiction with the followers that I've convinced. If I've convinced them to follow me. But who would follow me unless I have something worth following, as the logic would go? So not only do I wield my sort of confidence, but I have to strut my stuff. I've got to now run around people-pleasing in order to get some followers. I've got to try and impress. I've got to make myself appear better than I am. I've got to make sure I hide my weaknesses. I can't let anybody know that I've got weaknesses. I've got to be strong all the time. No wonder we explode. No wonder it goes so pear-shaped. We burn ourselves out. The truth is, in myself, I actually don't have much to give. When you come to that realization... It's so freeing. Nobody in the world is telling you the opposite. Everybody in the world is telling you the opposite. Nobody in the world is telling you the truth. Disney is telling you to put a lot of faith in yourself. Believe in yourself is what Disney tells you over and every movie. Believe in yourself. You've got it. You're amazing. You're wonderful. You're the best. You're the best. There's a better way to conquer a kingdom. And it's to say, no, no, Jesus is the best. Jesus is the best. And I don't have to convince people, Jesus lives in me. Followers that Jesus died for are how he gets his jurisdiction. He raised the bar, didn't he? So this is why I often do the very opposite in my flesh. I don't want to be the guy who dies. I want to be the guy who gets all that he's ever dreamed of, like Disney promises me. I want to have all that I've ever dreamed of. The whole idea in the world's mind and often in my mind, my little kingdom of jurisdiction authority is to, is to believe that the more people I have serving me, the more I have arrived. The more people I can get serving my dreams to see my dream, because of course my dream is the ultimate dream, is the best dream. And if more people I can get to serve my dream, oh, now we've got it. And Jesus says, this is the, he does the very opposite. Although the world tells him that's noble, Jesus says, no. If you try and hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. If you lay down your life for my sake, you will get it. You will get to keep it. He gives his life for his followers, pays the ultimate sacrifice. And ironically, it actually works. He conquered more kingdoms than any other person who's ever lived. Napoleon Bonaparte, 
the French emperor, once said this, I know men, and I tell you, Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires, but on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions would die for him. That's someone who has a real authority and jurisdiction. God wants us to be in those places of conquering kingdoms. But the first kingdom we have to conquer is ours. That he has to conquer is ours. And what about resources? Well, resources, whatever I can beg, borrow, or steal. And I don't want to minimize that each one of us have talents. Natural talents, beautiful talents, wonderful talents. Talents, however, that God gave you. And talents that God intends to blow into and, and, and blow wind into and get them to really do what they're there to do once we start realizing what they're there to do. But the truth is, is that I don't have a whole lot of resources in myself. I mean, I got a killer smile. Let's just, let's just put that out there. Uh, I was thinking, well, Drew, what real killer smile? No. Even my smile, I go, it finds its limits. I find that every day with Megan. When I've messed up and I just put on that charm, it doesn't work. It doesn't go very far. When I put on that humility, it goes a lot farther. God has resources and abundant resources. Why would I? In fact, the, the Bible says that Jesus, that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I mean, that, that's a lot of resources. Why would I not look to Jesus? And especially when Jesus himself said, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Wow. When we give our lives to Jesus, we make him king over our kingdoms, and we remove ourselves from the throne. We place ourselves under his authority, his jurisdiction, and his resources. We get the authority, the jurisdiction, and the resources of heaven, which is incredible. And we can walk in that. As soon as we start thinking that that is ours, we lose it. But when we continue to give glory and walk in God, we see great exploits. God wants us to conquer other kingdoms. Imagine if your business was conquered by God and His kingdom. What if instead of relying on confidence to make decisions, you relied on conviction because you were relying on the leading of the Lord? I've got a conviction that this is what we need to do. I've heard from the Lord. It's a powerful, it's a difference. What would that look like? Well, you'd probably have to spend a lot more time with him than with your board of directors or your marketing team. Listen to what I'm saying very carefully to you. Jesus is the smartest person who has ever lived and is still living. He is smart. We think that he's just moral. He's just a great example. 
that, oh, but, you know, and so when it comes to how I should actually, you know, live morally, I'm going to consult Jesus. No, he knows more about business than anyone you know. More about, more about leadership than John Maxwell. He knows more than John Maxwell. More than anything that, about finances. He's wise. He understands. He's smart. And those resources are there for you to get on your knees and tap into. The problem is, is we, we're still not believing that Jesus is smart. He's smart. What if instead Instead of convincing others to invest into your, con, con, your company, you built around the values that invested into their lives. You know how they always say customers are first? It's not true. But if you were living for God's kingdom, it just might be true that you care more about them than about the buck that you're going to try and make. It's a different mindset. Everybody says it, but you can do it. What if instead of making decisions based on your own resources, you started making decisions based on heaven's resources? I've already mentioned one, the wisdom of God in all areas of your business. The wisdom of God is there. There's resources. There's generosity. You know, often the fruits of the, the Spirit, they're actually very applicable to everyday real life and to your business. Look them up. This applies to your family's kingdom as well. What could your family look like if God were to truly have complete authority, jurisdiction, and resources? Megan and I are, are no longer fighting each other for authority. Oh, there's times where I try and put my foot down, and there's times that she steps on it. But we're no longer trying to have the last word, the final say. God's our king. If we disagree, we both seek him and ask him for the decision, and we don't move until we both hear from God. And now we have the conviction and not just Drew's newest idea. It's not what Drew wants or Megan wants. It's what the Lord wants. That's what it means to conquer kingdoms. There are great exploits to be had. Many of them are right in front of you. Starting with your family and your work, the lives of the people that God's placed in your path. You know, fireworks, they come in lots of different shapes and sizes, don't they? I mean, this is an impressive one. It's big. It goes up high. Sometimes the smallest ones have the biggest impact. They're often the most dangerous. I believe that there are many here that you've misunderstood the call of God on your life because you have yet to really understand the role that you play, the part that you play, the firework that you are. Some of you thought you were this when you were actually this. Some of you thought you were this when you are actually this. And the Lord wants to help you this year. He wants to show you he wants to put people around you. That's why we do I groups and home groups. Puts people around you who start to identify some of the gifts and you can start to trust people and have people speak into your life. 
so that you can see the role and the part that you're meant to play. And some of you, when you felt like you were spent and you have nothing else to give, I want to encourage you, come back. Come back to the Lord and to your knees and say, God, I am made for great exploits. Have I missed who I was, who I am? Did I compare myself with others? And I did, I have been there and I do it still and I have to catch myself all the time and I have to say, no, bless that person who is flying. This is what God's called me to and this is a great exploit. God wants to bring you back to that. And I felt specifically that uh, for a few people today, I've been praying this week, asking God, who are you highlighting that you want to specifically call out? And I feel like there's some names that the Lord's given me, that this is your year, 2020, of great exploits. And great exploits look like lots of things, but God's going to show you what it is. And I just love to call out some people. There's a young man in our youth group. His name is Prince. Prince, why don't you come down here? Prince Makoba, where are you? Is Prince here? I saw him earlier. Someone needs to go get Prince. Jonas goes search for him. And also, Fred and Julie Bester. I want you to come down here. Fred, come down. Is Julie here as well? I don't know if she's in Kidsmen. Kid, oh, there you are. Julie, come. I want you guys to come down here. This is your year. This is a great exploit year. Come down here. Just sit here in the front. And if you just face the people, this is a beautiful, God-fearing family. Come here, Julie. Just stand with your husband, please. I want to give you this. Julie, here, you just hold that. That's for you. I'm going to take that home. It doesn't go in the ground, by the way. You can do what you want with that firework. If you want to go home and you want to light that firework by faith and let it soar, if you want to hold on to it as a reminder of what God's going to do in your life this year. But this 2020 year is a year of great exploits for the two of you. This is your year. Prince, come stand right here. You're going to stand right here. I'm just going to face them and talk to you in a moment. But this is your year of great exploits. Who here agrees if you know them? Who here agrees with that? You are faithful. You, you are a dynamite package. And he's going to do wonders in your marriage. And he's going to clarify your calling and your gifts. And he's going to set you alight this year. Now, there are some of you that are sitting out there and you're thinking, man, I, I'd love for Drew to call me. I, you're a couple maybe even. You don't have to hear me speak that over you to hear the Lord speak it over you. You take these promises right now and you say, this is my year too. It's a year for my marriage too. Great exploits for me. You take it right now. But I'm telling you guys right now, the best of family, this is your year of great exploits. This young man can play guitar and sing. And I used to lead the youth. And he kept that quiet for how many years that I was leading the youth? Two years. Now I go on Friday night and he's up there after Justin takes over the youth. Prince gets up there and lo and behold, he can play the guitar and sing. I'm like, wait, what? And the reason that he's doing it now is because this is his year. 
This is his year of God setting him alight and flying. And it wasn't his year before, but this is his year now. In this area, God was busy doing other things in his life. Just because this might be, not be a year of you grabbing the guitar and becoming the worship leader, doesn't mean that God's not busy doing things in your life, by the way. But this is his year to fly in that area. You stay there. I'm going to give you a firework, and this is your year. And if you know Prince or you want to just get in on it, I want you to agree with me right now. This is his year. Amen. Now, Prince, I know you, so I'm going to have to say this really clearly. Do not light that in the house, okay? Yeah, yeah. And you're going to have to get your mom and dad to speak into that if you're allowed to light that or not, okay? There you go, Daniel. You're thankful. You're going to keep to keep your dreads, okay? This is your son's year. Let him fly, Daniel. Let him fly. Okay. What a great family you have. I really felt like there's other names. Amy Moodley, come on down. This is Amy Moodley. Now, I know, Amy, you saw me talking to some people about you before the, preach, uh, before the sermon because we turned and looked at Amy, and she was like, oh, no. You thought you were in trouble. Well, this is your year to fly, Amy, and God's got some incredible things. Have you already felt that? And I was speaking now to, to Nick and Jan earlier, and they were like, this is Amy's year. This is Amy's year. Do you feel like this is your year? What is this year for you? What is it, where are you meant to fly? In what area? What way? Walking with God, in your walk with God. This is your year, Amy. This is a good year. Great exploits. Great exploits happen in the quiet place with God. That's where they get birthed. That's where they get formed. That is, that is the wooden trough that helps you set it so that it can send in the right direction. Amen. If you agree with that, why don't you say yes? <laughs> Joe and Shida. Joe, come on down. Where's, where's your fiance? She in Kidsman. Oh, look at that. Already flying for Jesus. This is Joe. Joe, when do you get married? Say it real loud. 6th of June. I'll tell you one thing. 6th of June, you're going to really be taken off. <laughs> Lots of sparks on the 6th of June. I just feel that prophetically for you. <laughs> just turn. This is a brilliant young man. I was, at, I was at a Starbucks the other day, and he came in, and he saw me. Before I knew it, he had bought me a cappuccino and it was in my hand. That's a generous man right here. You're a generous man. God's seen your generosity. He's brought you to Glenridge and you and your wife are going to be making a, a, a start here together. Come from two different churches. They're coming. They're making Glenridge their home now. And I just want to say this is your year. And I know in marriage, this is a great, exciting year. But it's more than just that. You're coming together because you're meant to be something that it represents God's image to the world. He's going to represent His love for the church. And God's going to teach you how to do that early on in your marriage because you're meant to fly together. And this is your year of taking off, doing greater exploits together than ever. And I know, and I know just the Lord's been working inside His heart. And that, but she, she is almost going to take off farther than you. It's almost going to be like she's just going to go... 
And, and it's going to be an exciting thing, and you're meant to fan that into flame, and you're meant to back her and get excited, and then together, you're going to catch up together and go for Jesus. Amen. Amen. Do you agree with that? And uh, I'm just this, this one last, Emmanuel, tall Emmanuel, where are you? Come on down. Is your wife here? No, well, bring your wife. Fireworks come in many shapes and sizes. <laughs> How I wish that my firework had come in your shape and size, but <laughs> this is together for you guys. God has got, you know what, the moment we met you as a, as a couple, um, I mean, this doesn't take a genius, and a, it, you don't have to be prophetic to know that God has a call on your life. And... Uh, but what impresses me most about you is week in and week out, you're not just here on Sundays, you're at the prayer meeting. And the reason that's so important is because it speaks of humility. Fireworks for Jesus, great exploits. Go farther and faster with prayer. And that's why the Lord is going to send you farther and faster than you've ever imagined. And this year is the beginning of that. Is because you are a couple, a family of prayer. And I want to commend you for that. And I want to say, keep relying and trusting on God. That's where great exploits come from. This is your year, 2020. If you agree with that, can we just say yes? If you want this to be a great exploit year for you, I would love for you to stand right now. Would you just stand? I'm going to pray for all of us that are ready, desperate. If you're scared, and you don't want to stand, that's okay. <laughs> if you're not sure 